0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. As we turn to the book of Daniel, I was thinking about the, the number that the choir did just a few minutes ago about heal our land. Uh, certainly that text comes from Second Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, But as we look at the book of Daniel, we're going to take a little dive into the book of Daniel tonight. It made me think of Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9 and uh, how he's pouring his heart. And and, uh, although he didn't use the phrase, heal our land, that's certainly incorporated in his prayer and we may even uh, take a little uh, quick look into that. So thank you again for the opportunity to be here. It is an honor to be with you uh, this morning and this evening and praise God for All the good that he has done, and anything good, we know it is his work, not ours. Um, So, the book of Daniel, um, you know, this is not part of my notes, not part of the message, but I was thinking this afternoon, you know, I felt really bad. I did not say anything nice about the army. And I I felt, I don't know, maybe a little convicted. I'm not really sure. And I thought, what can I say nice about the army? And I did really have to think about it in, in, in full transparency here, and I'm sorry, So uh, then I realized, you know, there was this time when I was with the Marine Corps, uh, just uh, actually about a year ago, we were down at the southwest border involved in some operations and NORTHCOM was our parent command. We were assigned to NORTHCOM and so I had an, an Army chaplain major who was kind of my overseer for... For part of our mission, for that, and uh, so we talked a little bit, and I learned how to do things the Army way, which apparently is supposedly the right way. I'm not really sure, uh, but anyway, uh, we went through we went through all of that, and uh, and then one day he was visiting our command there on Camp Pendleton, and uh, he walked into our admin space, our S1 space, and he said, "Chaplain Hoyle, do you know what Army stands for?" And, and there's I don't know maybe. Fifteen other Marines standing around, and I had no idea what he was going to say. And uh, I said, I don't know, sir. What does Army stand for? And he said, Army stands for Are We Marines Yet? (laughs) So, got it, sir. So uh, that's the nicest thing I have to say about the army. I'm sorry, uh, uh, are we even Marines yet? And uh, from from there on, we had a great relationship. But uh, no, I just um, so uh, praise the Lord. I'm thankful that uh, for the unity that we have in Christ. Right. Uh, all right. So uh, back to the message, the book of Daniel. Here we go. That's right. I, I'm never getting invited back. That's okay. Um, just. Preach the truth. That's what they taught me. Preach the truth. Uh, But uh, in all seriousness, the data is in. Uh, The data is in, and I'm sure there are still some votes out there being counted, and maybe a court case, challenge or two. But the data is in. The Facebook memes, the Twitter posts have spoken. (laughs) Stand by. Uh, The world has officially lost its mind in 2020. It's done. Uh, I mean, what in the world has happened in 2020? I'm no rocket scientist and I'm no brain surgeon, but it seems to me that in a lot of ways, our world has just gone crazy and not just in 2020. Maybe it's me. I mean, I did just move out of California, okay? My family and I lived there for three years and maybe, let's be honest, California has its own version of crazy, okay? Um, And now we moved to DC and uh, DC has its own version of crazy. So maybe, maybe the world is, is normal in Chesapeake. I'm not really sure, but uh, it kind of seems like we have lost our minds. And when I check out the news, it seems like the crazy is everywhere. A little bit of trivia, uh, the Coast Guard is actually not part of the Department of Defense. It's part of the, the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, there are some other organizations that are part of the Department of Homeland Security, one of those being FEMA, Federal Emergency Management, I believe that's agency. Uh, I should have checked that one, but uh, so last week we were doing a Veterans Day celebration for uh, FEMA, and one of the the speakers there for FEMA, he pointed out, and I wrote this down, uh, I thought I wrote it down, that there were some, like, 170 natural disasters, according to FEMA's count, in in the year 2020, and that that was just dumbfounding to me, and uh, so, you know, you think of some of the disasters, and I won't go through them all, go through them all, but of course COVID-19, right? Uh, How can we forget that? Government bailouts, uh, murder hornets, race riots, shootings, more California wildfires, more California wildfires, more California wildfires, you get the idea. And then of course, last but not least, the election. What is going on? Uh, Memes and jokes everywhere about resetting 2020 and hibernating until 2021 and predicting what will go wrong next. I love what one person wrote the dumbest thing I ever did was purchase a 2020 planner. There's there's probably (laughs) some truth to that, you know? Uh, Like, where where do you go? Um, And and I I say all this for a reason. We're we're getting to the point here. Um, um, Do you ever feel like maybe the world or at least the United States is just falling apart? I mean, what next? But in all seriousness, it's pretty easy to see that our world is in turmoil. A whole lot of people, people and a whole lot of people are worried. Uh, they're, they're disturbed. They're, they're troubled. Anxiety and fears are at all-time highs. Pastor and I were talking at lunch. Suicide rates are up. They are. Uh, across the board, divorce rates are up. Psychologists and mental health counselors warn us that depression is on the rise. Tension is everywhere. It really is. Um, and, and we can joke about 2020 and all this stuff, and it is crazy but it really is having an effect. And a groups in our nation not only plan for chaos, but they plan to create chaos. Just uh, a couple days ago, before the election, uh, the, one of the local newspapers in uh, DC was running an article about how this uh, a few groups in particular were planning to create chaos should uh, the election not go their way. And uh, the, their idea was to complete, this is quote, completely interrupt ordinary life if that is what we need to do, with long-term occupations. In other words, uh, interrupt life as long as we can, as drastically as we can. Man, that's, that's sick stuff when you think about it. And much of our country and our world is sick and unwilling to seek the remedy for the disease of the soul. And so as I look at this, and, and we have to ask ourselves, how can a Christian function in such an environment? How do we do it? What does it mean to live for God in a time like this, I kind of think of it like this: How does one live for God in a world that's falling apart? Whew. So I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel tonight. And if I understand correctly, Pastor Asher uh, with the men yesterday was in the book of Daniel, and I took copious notes, even though I wasn't there. So, if you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, and it's fitting. I mean, it's a, it's an appropriate book to to look at to find some answers here. And while we might be the first generation with 5G on our cell phones, or maybe really even the first generation with cell phones, we are definitely not the first generation to live in a chaotic culture. And as you're turning, I want to remind you of the context of Daniel, and this is, uh, this is Chaplain Hoyle's uh, survey of Israel's history in like three minutes or less, okay? Uh, Israel was like a yo-yo. When they, when they had a godly king and they did right, they were a godly nation, and, and uh, the Lord blessed them. And when they had an ungodly king, the nation turned their hearts against God and God told them chastening would come. And for hundreds of years, God had sent prophets to the Israelites, warning them that if they did not follow God's way, judgment would ensue. And finally, the time of judgment came with three separate campaigns, 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army brought havoc Death and destruction to Judah and Jerusalem. In order to keep the people from creating effective resistance, the Chaldeans deported all, all but the poorest of the people, all but the poorest of the country's citizens, dragging them off to foreign lands. And then, of course, Nebuchadnezzar's government also selected the best and brightest youth from each nation to serve in the government. And here's where we meet Daniel and his three friends. Now, it's interesting to me. The scripture doesn't tell us anything, to my knowledge, of Daniel's parents. We know nothing of them. Perhaps they were left in Israel. Maybe they were part of the poorest of the land. Perhaps they were carted off as slaves to some foreign land. Perhaps they lost their lives, maybe even murdered in front of Daniel's eyes. We don't know. We do know that the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar's army, they were ruthless maybe even murdered as Nebuchadnezzar's forces, raided and pillaged, taking whatever and whomever they wanted. That's what Daniel saw. Whether his his family was killed or not, he, he certainly saw the army come in. And these young men were carted off from their homeland. They were stripped of all they had ever known. They were thrust in a new land with a new language. They were given new clothes, new food, a new place to live, New names, all with the expectation that they would faithfully serve the leadership of a pagan empire that just destroyed their homeland, brutally slaughtered their friends and family, and has no idea who Jehovah God is, nor do they even care. That's where Daniel finds himself. These slaves, these understudies of the government, Daniel and his three friends, they have no rights, they have no freedom. They have no appeals process, short of Daniel praying and saying, oh, Lord, would you please work so we, we not eat this meat? There's no formal appeals process, no, no court, no uh, subpoena to file, whatever. Nothing beyond the grace that God in his mercy allows Nebuchadnezzar's advisors to grant them. You know, when I think about that, for as bad as 2020 in America may seem right now it's a drop in the bucket compared to what Daniel and his friends experienced and we can learn a lot from Daniel and his three friends in fact I believe it's one of the reasons God gave us the book of Daniel and other prophets who lived in the time of the exile interesting study you have some time in your bible study your personal devotions whatever dig through and look at the exilic prophets and the post-exilic prophets and you see their message and I think of Habakkuk uh, and, and talking about, even if, even if everything fails, yes, still, I will still trust in God. And, and you see that theme coming up and again. But tonight, I'd like to focus on the book of Daniel. And certainly, the text is worthy of our in-depth study. But let's be honest, there's more here than we could ever cover in one evening. And although, although some preachers might try, I will not attempt that, okay? Uh, I want you to get home at a decent time. So tonight, we'll keep it simple. We will look at just a few simple truths about living for God in a world that is falling apart how do we live for God in a world that is falling apart as I study the book of Daniel and study the scripture I see the first thing we must remember is we must remember that God is in control pastor said it this morning Jesus is still King God is in control you know Daniel lived a long time Daniel had a long life at the beginning of the book we find Daniel to be a young man by the time of Daniel chapter 11 the first year of King Darius' reign, Daniel is an old man. And I believe if I understand right, Pastor, that's what you were talking about, the, the regime change that Daniel saw even late in his life. So from his youth to his old age, we find Daniel uh, in this, we get kind of a survey of his life, uh, a few points at least, but at least one theme keeps popping up over and over and over again in Daniel's interactions. We see it in Daniel's actions. We see it in Daniel's words to others. And we see it in the attitude of his three friends. So, tonight, rather than looking at one specific passage, I'd like to kind of take you on a a quick walk through the book of Daniel. And we'll look at some some select verses, and and if I I don't give you time to turn to those verses, um, you can look them up or whatever, but I'll try to give you a a couple seconds there. So, uh, see if you can kind of pick up on this theme as we go through. And we'll start Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Let's see, Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave... Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. Then down to verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor. Verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Go down to Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. We'll actually pick up in verse 20. Daniel answered and said... Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light that dwelleth in Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O Thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me what we desired of Thee. For thou hast made it known unto us the king's matter. Down to verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Thou, king, art a king of kings. Uh, For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. Verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Moving on to another chapter, Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, verse 17, the three Hebrew children answering Nebuchadnezzar, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we'll actually start in verse uh, 2, I thought it was good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. Verse 25 of chapter 4, "...that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grasses, and ox, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, listen to this, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men." and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Verse 34, And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that lived for, liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. We look at chapter 5, and I promise I won't get through every chapter, but I'm kind of hitting some wave tops here. That's a, that's a Navy term, okay? Uh, chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And down in verse 21. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed it over it, whomsoever he will. Chapter 7, verse 25, speaking of uh, those who oppose God, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And then verse 27, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Chapter 9, we find Daniel's prayer. In verse 2, Daniel wrote these words. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years. Whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Verse 14 of chapter 9. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon this evil and brought upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he doeth. Now, we could probably spend another 30 minutes looking at similar passages, but as I look at all these passages, what do they have in common? Well, probably several things, but particularly this theme. God is in control. It's His. He's in control. How do you live for God when the world is falling apart? How do you live for God when everything seems to be chaotic? Daniel and his friends demonstrated how. First, they had an unshakable recognition in the sovereignty of God. It was unshakable. They knew God was in control. And when they were carried away captive, when destruction came to their hometown, and the slaughter, and the pillaging, and the burning, and the throwing down, they knew God was still in control. Now, it wasn't easy. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't what they wanted. But they knew that God was still in control. When they were confronted with the king's meat, they knew that God was still in control. When no one else could interpret the king's dream, they knew that God was in control, and they prayed and said, Lord, would you, would you show us? Over and over and over again, the point is made throughout the book of Daniel. The Most High God rules over the kingdom of men. In fact, some 12 times you will find Daniel, uh, used the, uh, in the book of Daniel, God is called the Most High. That's more than any other book of the Bible, except for Psalms. And if you do the math, 12 chapters versus 150, I think you can see it occurs a lot more uh, percentage-wise in the book of Daniel. Daniel is making this point. The Most High God rules over the kingdom of men. America is a great nation, and I'm thankful that America is a great nation. But the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men, America and beyond. He is in charge. God is in control. And Daniel and his friends could live for God in a world of chaos and a world of paganism and a world of panic because they knew god is still in control and they did not let go of his of this truth and if you're ever going to live for god in our world today you must recognize you must more than understand it in your head you must live it out that the most high is still on the throne He hasn't abdicated. He hasn't panicked over the election. He hasn't given up or wondered what to do now. Well, I didn't see this one coming. No, God's still in control. And while he may allow wickedness to prosper and evil to excel for a time, in the end, he will settle the score and make all the wrongs right. He is in control. And Daniel knew that whether the lions made a snack of him or whether God shut their mouth, God was still in control. The three Hebrew men knew that whether they were burned to a crisp or whether they they walked around in the fire, God was still in control. In fact, that's exactly how they answered Nebuchadnezzar. Don't miss it. If you're ever going to live for God in our world today, you must recognize that God is still. On the throne, and that is foundational, and I I hope you see that in the book of Daniel. And I I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that often, uh, very very often. I, I do have a couple pictures. I didn't get any pictures of God on the throne. Obviously, that's not going to fit on the screen, okay? But a, a couple of pictures. Uh, if we can have a couple of those pictures when we uh, when we get there. About a year ago, a little less than a year ago, I w- well, when I was still assigned to the Marine Corps. We went to that infamous place where Marines go to train. Oh, this lovely place called 29 Palms. If I understand right, your, your son-in-law and daughter are there, and maybe if you've served with the Marine Corps or maybe the Navy, you've been out to 29 Palms. Now, for those of you who have never been to 29 Palms, let me assure you, it is not near as tropical or as beautiful as it sounds. Not anywhere close. And we can go ahead with another picture there when, you, when you're ready. I think I have three or four of them. That's a little bit of what 29 Palms looks like. Uh, Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center 29 Palms is the full name. It's almost 600,000 acres, 931 square miles of sand, rugged mountains, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and in my opinion, sheer misery all year round. I, if there's one place, well, actually, the first time we went out there for training, we left and it was awful and i thought lord i will be okay if i never go there again and what do you know the lord let us go more than once ah uh, praise god i needed some shaping amen uh so the last time we were out there and you, I, there may be one more picture you can scroll on whatever they're all, they're all of 29 palms but while we were there this past time for about eight weeks my unit was assigned to participate in a little war gaming. Okay, you know the marines go out, rah rah, we're gonna go go play war. That's what we're gonna do. We can call it army man. Okay, we already talked about the army. We're we're gonna go play Marine Corps. Okay, so we went out um, and and for this war game, my unit, we were designated to be the bad guys. Okay, we were gonna be the bad guys, and so we're put at a disadvantage. And of course, the good guys, the other marines, they get, you know, the, the better equipment and the the greater numbers and all that kind of things. And, and so we knew that we were going to be the bad guys. And so for weeks, my battalion leadership, uh, they planned the critical places to attack. You know, this is a great place to hide. We can, we can get out of you here. This is the right uh, path to move supply routes and all that kind of stuff. They, they planned it all out as best as they could. And then we packed up and headed to the field. And uh, there out in the field for that period of time, you know we're split up in our units. We're we're low on uh, comms communication. We don't want to get picked up by the enemy. All this stuff and and whenever we heard surveillance aircraft flying overhead, we would literally stop in our place. And there in 29 Palms, uh, you know, uh, not many places to hide, but the rocks and the crevices, the canyons. We would we would literally, when you hear the aircraft overhead, run into the canyons or under the crevices and hide just to be out of view, uh, as much as we could. And and We really had some smart leadership. And our battalion, even though we were the bad guys, we inflicted some serious damage on the opposing forces. And I don't say that to to my credit. It wasn't like I was behind a weapon or anything. But uh, we we inflicted some tremendous damage on the the opposing forces. We gave the good guys a hurting. Okay, we really did. But we did not come out on top. We didn't win the war game. Why? Because the game was rigged. The game was rigged, it really was. The Marine Corps had a, what they call training objectives, okay? And training objectives means they want some certain things to happen, okay? So with these training objectives, these training objectives were for the good guys. And that meant that if we bad guys ever got too much of the upper hand, well the referees, or the coyotes as they're called out in 29 Palms, well the coyotes would come in, call a timeout, and kind of reset the board. No, no, you can't do that. Move your forces back over here or pretend we got you with a rocket or whatever, you know? And uh, that's the way it goes, you know? Uh, they would reset the board and change the rules of the game to keep us from winning because we have training objectives, right? That's the way it works. And, uh, and so that's a little bit about 29 Palms. And I tell you that story because of this. No matter what we did, we could, we, could, uh, we could inflict damage on the good guys, but no matter what we did, we could never win the game was rigged. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, it's much the same, except it's not a game. You see, the forces of evil can do all they can to plan and attack and prevent God's truth from prevailing. And let's be honest, we can witness it in our world today, the forces of evil can do tremendous damage. They they can affect governments, they can discourage and lead to depression and divorce and murder and all these kinds of things. If you don't believe me, just check out the nightly news. Check out the latest divorce statistics in the United States. Truly the devil hates marriage. Look at the latest suicide statistics. 80 deaths a day by suicide in our world. Look at the prevalence of other destructive activities. The drugs, the violence, the abuse, the abortion. We could go on and on and on. So can the forces of evil make a, a, a very powerful impact for, for evil? Absolutely. And we see that every day. But while the forces of evil can and do inflict tremendous damage, the truth of the matter is God is still on the throne. And nothing, literally nothing can change that fact. The end is already determined. It's not a game, but it's set. Uh, And uh, the, the forces of evil can go no further than the Lord allows. The end is already determined. The outcome is already set. The Most High rules over the kingdom of men, and when all the dust settles, Christ will set up an everlasting kingdom. The Bible is clear. So how do we live for God in a fallen world? We must actively remember that God is in control, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we say, Lord, I... I I believe you, but I just can't see it. We must remember God is actively in control. But there's a second part to what enables us to live for God in a fallen world. And we also find this in the book of Daniel. And this truth is rooted in the fact that God is in control, that God is sovereign. So this second truth comes out of the first. And, And it really makes sense. If God is really God, and He is, then you and I have a responsibility, don't we? What is that responsibility? Well, we could look at it in a number of different ways. And so we'll take another quick, a little shorter this time, a little quick trip through the book of Daniel. Back to chapter 1, if you would. We won't look as many passages this time. But Daniel chapter 1, and uh, hopefully you know this story well. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Recall the story, Daniel and his three friends, they're they're confronted with the king's meat. And we find in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defy himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. We look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Verse 19 of chapter 2. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. We'll read just verse 18. Be, but if not, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Daniel chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is Daniel as an old man, the night of the regime change, speaking to Belshazzar. And he says, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, excuse me, speaking to Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Daniel is the old statesman, is going up to the guy in charge, the king himself, and says, you haven't humbled your heart even though you knew God's truth. He is confronting power uh, with truth. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. We already read verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the, Lord came, uh, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. The books that he was studying, he was studying his Bible that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession. And we don't have time to read the rest of Daniel's prayer, but you should. You should start read that and study that and a uh, model prayer for how we should pray today, I believe. And as we look at these verses, and we could look at other passages too, we could look at the actions that Daniel and his friends took. They made up their minds. They purposed in their heart to do right. They refused to compromise knowing what God required. They resisted the temptation to to bow at the world's altar, even when their life was on the line. They sought to answer with wisdom and counsel in the matters that they faced. They gave God the glory and the honor. They witnessed to the pagan authorities of God's truth. They studied the scriptures. They were faithful and earnest. Uh, they were faithful and earnest fervent prayer, and many other things that we we could see that they do. And if we're not careful. I believe we can kind of look at this like some kind of checklist. You know, well, how do I live for God in a fallen world? Well, I I need to study my Bible, and I need to pray, and I need to do this, and I do that, and we need to do all those things. But it's not a checklist. If I want to live for God when the world's falling apart, well, I need to pray. Check, I prayed today. I need to witness. Check, I witnessed today. Did I read my Bible today? Check, yep, had my devotions today. And And down the line, and well, okay, then I'm going to live for God in a fallen world. But to simply do that is to miss the overarching picture. You see, when we look at Daniel and his friends, we don't see people who are following some sort of checklist in hopes of making themselves holy. No, not at all. What we see are believers who strive to live in faithful obedience to the Lord in every aspect of their lives. And so when it comes time to pray, when they need to pray, what do they do? They pray. When it comes time to stand, what do they do? Well, they stand. When it comes time to to witness to the pagan king, what do they do? They witness to the pagan king. Whatever it is, they strive to walk in faithful obedience to the Lord in every aspect of their lives. These are not men who think that somehow they can give their their time to God in a church service and then go out and live the way they want. These are not people who think they can give God their tithe and then the rest of the money is theirs to spend as they want. No, uh, these are men who who do not think that living for God is a list of, well, I do this and I don't do this, and therefore I'm living for God. No, they understand that God is supreme. And if God is supreme, we have a responsibility to live in faithful obedience to Him all the time, in every circumstance, and in every situation. And like the many sides of a diamond, these aspects that we see in these guys' lives that we looked at, From refusing to defile themselves with the king's meat, to the boldness before the king, to the fervent study of the word, to the repentant cry, and the effective prayer of Daniel chapter 9, all of these are aspects of the same responsibility. It is this, while the circumstances may change, the leaders may change, the laws may change. Do we see that today? The laws and the policies changing, and the world seems to be falling apart. The believer's responsibility remains the same. it the way Jesus did to love the Lord your God with all your heart to live in faithful obedience to the God who is still and still on the throne we must remember this world is not our home like Abraham who searched for a city whose builder and maker was God our world is not in this our, our world this world is not our home Abraham didn't find that city on planet earth the government our culture And our society may change the rules. They may change the definition of words. They may adopt this or exclude this or redefine that or outlaw this. We live by a different devotion and a different set of rules. Why? Because we are citizens of a different kingdom. And, you know, that's part of what I I appreciate military ministry. Because when you get to that point... Uh, we, we in the military, we understand that, at least most of us, you know. I won't talk about those other branches, some of them, but those, those in the military understand what it's like to live by a different set of rules. While you're in the military, there are just some things you can, cannot do. They may be okay by society standards, and, and they may even be perfectly okay, but as a member of the armed forces, you cannot do them as long as you wear our nation's cloth. You live by a different standard. I'll never forget um, this, this one just is ingrained in my mind, and I'm not getting anybody in trouble here, but COVID-19 came, and we were in California. If you know anything about California and COVID-19, everything shut down. I mean, everything shut down. But there on Camp Pendleton, I would do a, a Sunday evening chapel service in our, in our local area on the base there, and, and one Sunday evening shortly after everything was shut down, somehow we were able to, to squeak by and, and still hold a, a few services there. There, as I was approaching... Uh, my battalion, outside the barbershop was a line of Marines about as long as you could see because it was Sunday. And if you've been a Marine, you know on the weekend, you better get a haircut. That's the way it goes. And it doesn't matter if all the barbershops in California were closed. On Camp Pendleton, the barbershops were open because that's the rules. You live by a different standard. And so, uh, you know, what better example? You understand. Uh, In the military sometimes, it doesn't matter what the rules are out there. This is, this is the way it is. This is the way it's been said, and that, that's the way it was. And uh, to my knowledge, you know, not throwing anybody under the bus, but to my knowledge, the barber shop's never closed because the Marine Corps said haircuts are mission essential. Absolutely. And uh, so, I'm, look it up. <laughs> but a different set of rules. Why? Because it's a different authority, right? And so, how do you live for God in a fallen world? Well, you recognize God is the authority. Christ is king. And I live by a different set of rules. I live by... set of rules. I must follow the way that he has. And if the world supports that and cheers that on, well, praise God. But if the world doesn't support that and doesn't cheer that on, well, you know what? Praise God. I'm just going to keep living by a different set of rules by his grace. So how does one live for God when it seems that the world is falling apart? No matter what the world may look like or how we feel, God is still on the throne. And if he is on the throne, it is our responsibility to love him with all of our hearts and to live in faithful obedience to him. You know, there's a lot, a whole lot in the book of Daniel. And I find the conclusion of the book of Daniel very interesting. Daniel chapter 12. And we'll soon be done. Daniel chapter 12. Here, God has shown himself strong throughout Daniel's life. God has also given Daniel some remarkable insight into the spiritual realm and a tremendous look down the corridors of time, beholding what is to come. And I find the, the conclusion of the book to be really interesting. At the end of it all, God tells Daniel about the end times. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation, even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever what is God doing there he is once again reminding Daniel I'm in control and all those that live in obedience to me they'll be duly rewarded I'm in charge brethren the Bible is clear someday the trumpet will sound maybe soon and all who know Christ we're gonna be out of here someday the end will begin even so come Lord Jesus And at the very end of the book, look at what Daniel is told, verse 13. But go thy way, but go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. I love our nation. I love freedom. I love America. I love our military. And given the opportunity, I will do all I can by God's grace to see righteousness and truth prevail in our nation. But at the end of the day, regardless of whether righteousness is embraced by our nation or rejected, God is still on the throne. Our salvation is not in an election. It's not in a government. It's not in a quarantine or shunning a quarantine. It's not in less government or more government. Not in a stimulus package. Not in less taxes or more taxes. Our salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because He is on the throne, we have the responsibility to live in faithful obedience to Him. So I ask you tonight, what are you doing to keep the truth before you that the most high rules over the kingdom of men? May I submit that maybe this truth ought to be one that you somehow put in a prominent place, if not in writing, at least in your thinking. But maybe you would say, wow, this truth, I need to be reminded. So maybe you would put it in a very prominent place, maybe above your television set or computer screen. Maybe on your refrigerator, I don't know. Maybe you're there more, I don't know, whatever. But someplace where you are frequently reminded that as you learn of all the chaos of this world, you will be reminded of this eternal truth because that is the foundation. And then are you living in obedience? Or have you slipped somehow letting yourself embrace the idea, uh, the thinking um, that, you know, living for Christ, I, I do this and I do that. And I've adopted the mindset of the world. Have you let your Christian walk deteriorate into a list of checks? I came to church. I read my Bible. I gave money in the offering. I prayed. So, you know, everything's good. Have you deteriorated to that? Instead of letting these actions grow out of a heart that is in sweet submission to our Heavenly Father, to our Sovereign King, maybe it's time to ask the Lord to help you have a fresh love for Him. How do we live For God, in a world that is falling apart, our hope must be in Christ. I was reading in my devotions the other day, and I actually read this quote uh, from Spurgeon. Uh, Not that I spend a great amount of time in Spurgeon, but I loved what he had to say here. Speaking of the believer's hope, he wrote this, Hope as much as ever a man can hope. For when your hope is in God, you cannot hope too much. Is your hope in God tonight? How do we live for, a, for God in a world that is falling apart? We actively remember that He is on the throne. We place our hope in Him and we live in wholehearted obedience to Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. Lord, thank You for our time in the book of Daniel tonight. And Lord, we could, given time and opportunity, see the same truths in many other passages of Scripture. Lord, how easy it is for us to lose focus of the fact that you're on the throne and you're in control. Lord, you're not in panic. You're not in fright. There's no fear, uh, no afraidness in your eyes, Lord. You are absolutely sovereignly in control. And Father, I pray that each one of us would run to you this evening and we would rest in your Lordship. We would rest in your sovereignty. And Lord, that we would find ourselves in love with you, and we would, in love, live out lives of obedience to you. Lord, we have already seen that our world is falling apart. And we do not know what the days ahead hold. But Lord, we do know how it ends. And thank you for what you have done and what you will do. I pray that you'd work in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.